Wonderful. Too hard of an act to follow, that's for sure. Wow. Uh, and especially Jerry as well. Thank you, sir, for that walkthrough of how grand the great plan is. And um, such, a, such an enormous idea that God has done for us and the plan that he's put in place for us. I would like to just draw our attention to another thing. Children's Church can go ahead and be dismissed, by the way. For the rest of the day, I'd just like to talk about another very important, all-encompassing thing, and that is our spiritual life and the spiritual war that we have going on uh, in our life and how God helps us with that. The way that I want to approach that is to talk about something that every one of us deals with to some degree or another, and that's anxiety. We've kind of been on that topic, even though I've been gone for two weeks. Missed y'all. It's good to be back. Um, even that we've been on that topic, but let's, let's keep at it and let's see, uh, let's talk about the spiritual warfare that we're in and how we can go about that. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about a couple ways in which we cope ineffectively. And then I want to kind of go through the way God wants us to cope with the cares and the anxiety that we have in our life. Okay. So I'm trying to catch you. I'm trying to explain a grand plan and trying to catch you with something that we all struggle with. All right. If you live in America... You live in the nation that scores the worst on the anxiety scales. And since we've been tracking that beast, it just keeps getting worse every year, every year, every year. People who live in third world countries where they don't have everything as good as the rest of us, they don't have all the resources and everything, their anxiety levels, their scores are a lot lower and better than what our scores are. Now... Once they move to America, their scores go up and get worse, just like all of ours. Did you know that about your country? (laughs) Of course you did, because you know it about yourself. We don't do very well with care and worry and anxiety. So I'm hoping that what we talk about today will help. I'm going to start. 1 Peter 5. You know this one? Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's a sermon in itself right there. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And the understanding that Peter's trying to get across here is we can't resist and we're not going to stand firm unless we've taken care of the casting our anxiety onto him and we're now alert and sober-minded. So all of that goes together. Because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing everything that you're going through, their sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's the good news on that right there. Okay, let's go. Anxieties, cast your anxiety on him, be alert, and sober-minded. There's there's three ideas there. Kind of like to talk about those. Because we see the three things also in the rest of scriptures. And these things come to our mind and we can just kind of verify how big of a thing this is by just looking at the other scriptures involving them. So, our anxieties, being alert, and being sober-minded. Let's go to Luke 21. Let's kind of see the same thing. 
God is talking, Jesus is talking here about getting ready for that day. Be careful. Be alert. Be careful. Your hearts are going to get weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness. We said sober mind and the anxieties of life. Be careful. This is where the Bible is trying to be very kind to you with some good advice. You got to be careful, man. You got to watch out. You got to be alert or you're going to get weighed down with the anxieties of life, with drunkenness, with carousing. And all of a sudden, the day is going to close in on you by surprise like a trap because you weren't ready and alert. It'll come on those who live on the face of the whole earth Here we go. Verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand firm. We talked about that one before the Son of God. So there's some ideas. Be careful, be watchful, be sober-minded, avoid drunkenness, and cast your anxiety onto God because he cares for you. Otherwise, all that junk's going to weigh you down. You're not going to be your best. You can see it in the parable of the seeds, or the soils, actually. This is Matthew 13. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. They spring up quick. But what happens? The worries of life, there's our anxieties, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Luke 8 says the same thing. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Maybe that describes some of you right there, where you feel like you're kind of stuck. You feel like you're weighed down. So I want to take the soup of all of these verses And the three things that we're talking about, we're going to go, we're going to talk about how they're ineffective coping methods, just like he says there. And then at the end, we'll give you the good news. Before I do that, I'm going to step on your toes today. Sorry. But this is important, right? I'm trying with all I can to talk about anxiety, which I know you'll listen to. So that I can talk about the grand war spiritually that you and I are in. Which I don't maybe know if you'll listen to. It's really huge. And it's really important. And worst of all, it's going to cause us to make some changes if we're really going to fight that war well. I don't like change either. Let's give it a try, huh? Listening ears. Fertile soil to listen. All right, here we go. Number one way we, we cope ineffectively is with drugs and alcohol. I heard somebody, maybe I didn't hear right. Do you use it as a coping tool? We'll go through a couple questions. I've been around it so much. I've seen how people started to cope just a little and then it just got too far out of balance. Coping with alcohol and drugs. These are the debilitators. If you're following along in the bulletin insert there, these are the debilitators and they weigh us down and they lead us to dissipation. Dissipation is where everything just kind of breaks apart. All right? It breaks apart and we lose the energy, the strength. It just dissipates. Maybe we had a momentum going, but it just dissipated and now it's gone. It's really hard to get momentum going back, right? Well, drugs and alcohol weighs us down and it debilitates us like that. I'm going to read Proverbs 23. Listen, my son, 
be wise, alert, watchful, set your heart on the right path. Don't join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Weighed down, dissipated. I was talking with somebody this, this week about how they don't want to give up the marijuana. And here's my thing, Ben. Let me just ask you this question. How come I lose, how come I lose steam? How come I'm unmotivated to do things? Because he lives with his grandma and he, he wants to be good for his grandma because his grandma doesn't want him doing that. But he just can't get there. He's a high school kid. Can't get there. So I talk to him about our senses and our sensation-seeking disposition. When you are high on marijuana or drugs, the senses are firing on everything. When you come down, it's just not as fun. So you've sapped out your sensation-seeking disposition that God has given you. And contentment now is so hard to find. Felt it? Drunk. It's fun. You come down off of it, and everything's kind of dissipated. You do that enough and enough and enough and more and more, and the next day and the next day and the next day, and all of a sudden, poverty overtakes us, and drowsiness clothes us in rags. I know, you're not there yet. Well, why do we even want to start? Drugs, alcohol, even food. Solomon says the sluggard puts his hand in the bowl. He can't even bring it up to his mouth because all he does is eat all day and it's weighed him down. So these substances that we used to cope are the carbohydrates and the tryptophan of our spiritual life. Can you hear me say that? You're going to go right to sleep with this stuff. Are you saying don't drink, Ben? Well, just give me a second, okay? Just give me a second. All right, first of all, just here's the tryptophan. Every 30 minutes, someone's killed in a driving alcohol-related accident in our country. According to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, one in every 13 adults are alcoholics. Alcohol is involved in 50% of spouse abuse cases, 38% of child abuse cases, 65% of drownings, drownings, and 54% of those in jail for violent crimes. 49% of those convicted for murder or attempted murder have been under the influence of alcohol when they committed those crimes. Those are people who have been weighed down. All their life momentum was dissipated and something needed to help them cope. Well, they found the substance which helps us temporarily cope instantly. And that's the reason. I can quote you all these statistics and you know those mornings where you sat around the toilet bowl because of the night before and you've said, why, why, why? Why do we still do it then might be the question. Because it works, right? Alcohol, drugs, and food have the ability to change your temperament and to change what's going on with you emotionally and spiritually. The problem then becomes when we actually use them to cope. All right? So here's what happens. I'm going to paint a picture of what is good and then how, if we may be taking it too far, all right? Psalm 104 says that God makes wine to gladden our hearts. Okay, he makes oil to make our faces shine. He makes bread to sustain our hearts. All right, so 
God here is saying wine works. That's why we call it spirits. It helps us spiritually, or it can. All right? So, you have this beautiful picture in Ecclesiastes 9. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Okay? Gladness as opposed of gluttony and joyful heart as opposed to drunkenness. For God has already approved what you do. Always clothe, always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. There's a beautiful picture right here of a celebratory life. And it even includes, once in a while, drinking some wine. Drink your wine with gladness. These are all fun things to enjoy in a healthy life. The problem then becomes when we go so far till we use them to cope. That's our problem. All right. So Solomon also says in Proverbs, it's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what's been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Listen, let beer be for those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish, okay? You're getting a tooth pulled? All right, let's maybe tip one back. It might help a little bit, right? If you're on the edge in anguish, an instant help from alcohol might be an okay thing. The problem is, is we keep on doing that, which is the next verse, Proverbs 21. Wine is a mocker, beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. That's when we do it over and over and over, and it's got us now rather than it, rather than us having it. All right, here's how we're going to find out if we've crossed the line, all right? Are you all with me? All right, this is the verse, Proverbs 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? All of these anxieties. Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Ah. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't even feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? All right. How do I know if I'm using these to cope? Number one, I linger. You can write that one in. I linger. He says, don't linger over wine. What he's saying here is this. You go out to social drink and you have a drink. There ought to be, he says, some sort of motor inside of you that says, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to stop. Otherwise, I run the danger of crossing the line. Do you have that? I bet some of you go out and have that one drink and you really want more and more and more. Yikes, man. That's all I'm going to say to you. Yikes. Do you have that thing inside of you that can say, got to stop? Here's our counsel. Don't linger. The next one is, I go. It says, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. This is a person with the expressed intent to go somewhere and be somewhere for the purpose of drinking. That's going to get us in trouble too. Because now we've prioritized our life around it. 
our thinking to some degree is consumed by it and it's becoming a priority. Then, then I know I've crossed the line with it and I'm probably using it to cope. what What do you mean, Ben, cope? It's because we're unable to find a contentment without it and so it helps us to cope with our inability to find contentment, right? I was talking to someone just this last week we were talking about how I was going to preach this sermon on how we use these substances to cope. She says, I don't want to cope. I want to smoke. Right? That leads me to the next one. When I understand that I have a craving for this, don't gaze at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup. Oh, if I could just get a drink and it'd go down so smooth. Then we're in trouble. That is a craving That, as opposed to this beautiful picture, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with gladness. Put oil on your head. Wear white. Enjoy your wife. Live life to the fullest. But do it in a healthy way because you are happy and you can laugh at the days to come rather than being worried about the days to come and then you run the risk of using a substance to help you cope. All right, real quick, drugs. I'm just going to say this real quick. Don't get lost in these weeds, but it shows you how grand of a thing it is. Two years in a row, 2016, 2017, two years in a row, the life expectancy of America went down. There's only been two other years in the history of America where the life expectancy of of an American went down. There was never been two years in a row like 2016 and 17. You measure all the indices that they use to measure life expectancy. In those two years, there's 10 of them. Eight of them went up, actually. The one that encompassed all of the 10 and caused all of the 10 as a group to go down was accidental deaths, and that's where they put opiate deaths in that category. The opiate overdoses of our country has created a seismic shift in the life expectancy of our country all by itself. People are using opiates to cope. Now that could have been innocent at the beginning. Yeah, I had surgery. I needed to use it for some pain. But it's so easy to get caught by them that people go on and now they need them to cope. It can get as crazy as this. When the people... When heroin users find out on what corner the heroin got sold that somebody overdosed on, for some reason, they go there. They are already so far in that they want to risk their life to get a better high on heroin that they're not getting right now. Oh, good, Ben. I am not that far at all. Well, that's good. But where and how far are you with the use of substances including food, to help you cope. The food one is the one that gets me. So here's what is going to happen. Everything is going to get exposed by the light. When the light is on it, it becomes visible. This is Ephesians 8. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And that's why God says to us, wake up, sleeper. Get out of your dissipation, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Things will go better then. Here we go again. Be careful 
how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. This thing is so huge. Our spiritual journey and warfare is so huge. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, the alternative is to be filled with the Spirit. That's where our inspiration needs to come from. And that's where we also learn how to be content and don't need a substance to cope. All right, you ready for number two? (laughs) Number two, wealth possessions. The deceitfulness of wealth is what causes us to become immature. That's what Jesus says in the parable of the, of the soils. Wealth and possessions, these are the deceivers that lead us to distortion. And specifically, I want to say distorted thinking. All right, so how does material wealth deceive us? It makes promises that it can't keep. Money promotes itself as the answer to our problems... And it also, in doing such, serves as, in our minds, sort of a barometer as about how God is blessing us and his ability to provide. Think about it. If you get an unexpected bill or a car wreck, something breaks in the house, unexpected bill, right, that doesn't really fit into the budget, you might be tempted to think, what's God doing to me? What did I do wrong? So see, wealth, possessions, money, there's like barometers there. Something happens inside of us that doesn't allow us to think straight about what's going on. Now, God takes a look at your money and finances, and he's just fine about things. He has no anxiety whatsoever. So if he sends a challenge to you, it's not a curse or a punishment. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. You might be using it to cope too much. So let's get back to using me to cope, God says. Wealth and possessions promise to provide a comfort and a rest and an abundant pleasure. Boy, I'd rather have all of that than anxiety, wouldn't you? Wealth can promise that to you, but it doesn't bring that to you. Those things can only be found in the presence of the Lord. All right, so a couple more questions we can ask ourselves. Am I using wealth and possessions to cope? How many of you are familiar with shopping therapy? Used to know somebody that would say, well, I just want to go there because I just want to see if they have such and such. No, you want to go to the mall all day. That's really the truth. So we sometimes kind of justify these things, right? Question number one, do I think I will be happier with just a little more? I think I got you on that one. I think I do. First Timothy 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That doesn't sound so fun, does it? Just food and clothing. Somehow we got to figure this out. Am I going to be happier with just a little bit more? Because I've tried that one. The new car was good for a month, but then it was a car. I'm idling too fast here probably. I need something more. I need something more. God can help us find contentment which sets our idol where it should be. Otherwise, we're going to be burning too much gas. The second question, is it hard for me to see my own spiritual poverty? Or we could just say, 
Can I see my spiritual poverty at all? Assess yourself for just a second. Poverty? Spiritual poverty? Revelation 3. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. These were people in the church of Laodicea. Church folks like you and I couldn't see it. So, do you look at yourself and see spiritual poverty and a complete need on Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you see that? Do you feel that? Third one. All right, here we go. Do I hoard? <laughs> You've seen the show, right? Thank goodness I'm not as bad as them, right? Do I hoard? Or, let's go to the other side of the coin, am I growing in generosity? We've got to figure that one out. We've got to figure out our, our, our finances and everything so that we can be generous and avoid the hoarding. Two key questions then. Just like Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If I think that it does, I'm just deceived. Where I'm a Christian and I'm proposing that I've got it figured out to some degree. D, the fourth one, do I believe that I am more deserving than others who have less than me? Is there something here? Well, if you would just get your life in order a little bit, you'd be like me. So I did. I did save. I did do things well. I deserve. Well, in Deuteronomy, when you get into the land and you have things well, don't say that kind of stuff. He says... My power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives the ability to produce wealth. And he does that to confirm his covenants, which he swore with you. He's interested in your spiritual life. And he's going to monkey with your wealth to get you to be reinterested in your spiritual life. Lastly, do I manage well what I've been given? Those who want to get rich... They fall into the temptation. They fall into a trap. They're surprised when the trap clamps on them. They also fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Distorted. The love of money, the love of money, when we're using it to cope, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, they've wandered from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. I pray that that is not the case for you and I. Again in Proverbs, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Just cast a glance at riches, they're gone. They'll sprout wings and fly off. We can't base our life on them. Otherwise, there's going to be times where life doesn't go good because our finances don't always go good. All right, the last one, last point. This is the secret. This is how God would rather have us do it. This is the way we're going to avoid dissipation and we're going to avoid our distorted and deceitful thinking about us. And this is where we're going to be on the top of our game rather than being weighed down by all of this stuff so that we cannot fight against our enemy. This is 
Point three, we're going to go to God. He's our redeemer, as Jerry said earlier. And this leads to our restoration, our strength. Isaiah 48, this is what the Lord says. I'm your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace as opposed to anxiety would be like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. All right, we're back in Peter. Here's what he says in addition to what he told us earlier. With minds alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Be alert and of sober mind. Why? So that you may pray, so that your conversation with God is fruitful and functional rather than weighed down and dysfunctional. All right, so we got to focus on our enemy for a second so that we then can focus on how God does this for us as we do our part in it. One day in the book of Job, it says, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Remember, we were read earlier about Satan, our enemy. He's just looking for somebody. He's scoping out the scene, looking for when you are weak. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Considered is an interesting word there. God is asking Satan, have you seen my servant Job? Have you considered how strong he is? This is God about to allow everything that he allowed in Job's life, if you know the story. But this is God trying to help Job out in the spiritual battle, to stay connected to him, to uphold Job in the face of the slanderer. Because Satan goes on to say, well, of course Job's a good guy. You've put a hedge around him. You've given him this. You've given him that. Of course. You take away his stuff. He'll curse you to your face. And God says, very well, you can take everything he has, but do not lay a finger on the man himself. Well, later on he would. This is a neat story. Have you considered my servant Ben? (laughs) Oh, man. You see, friends, God is deeply invested in, into your spiritual fight and you might not be. He's trying to help us here. You're in a fight against a lion and a slanderous enemy. Now, you and I are probably not star spiritual quarterbacks like Job. This guy had it, all right? Maybe not, but you and I are still on our journey in our spiritual fight And God is allowing just a certain amount in your life to keep you in the fight. When he allows this stuff and it defeats you and weighs you down and deceives you. And the fruit, negative fruit of that is bore out. It's going to find you coming back to him. God, you got to help me. All right, let's try it again. God is in the war with you. And he's asking you to get into the war as well. 
Did Job deserve that stuff? Not by your and my standards. Job was straight as an arrow. You can read that in there. He wants you to get into the fight, friend. Wait a second, Ben. I thought this was a sermon about getting out of anxiety. This is it, how we do it. We get into the spiritual fight and we rely on God. And then all of a sudden, his peace that you really can't even understand begins to envelop us. And the anxieties of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, they just don't hold on as hard anymore. And we can deal with them better. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, in your bulletin, Satan is not in hell as opposed to the cartoons that we see in the newspaper with the pitchfork. He is out roaming around looking for your weak points, okay? He is not in hell to and fro the earth, it says. Here's his strategy. His strategy is to weigh you down and make you weak. The menu is you, a weak and ill-prepared Christian. So, we got to be at the top of our game. When we cope ineffectively, we're not. We're weighed down. Our thinking is not right. We're not sober. We're not watchful. And so, we be alert, be sober, be watchful. And we got to be together as we sang earlier. I'm weak where you're strong. I might be strong where you're weak. We got to be together. By the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am. God's been good to me. His grace to me was not without effect. What happened, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. God's investment in your spiritual battle should cause something in us. And I'm trying to challenge you in that. Let's work hard here. Let's say no to the substance. Let's cope in a different way. His medicine is this, Revelations 13. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear. That's our righteousness so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Salve to put on your eyes so that you're no longer deceived anymore, but that you can truly see. There's so much in that. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. What God is saying to us here is, put all the other stuff away. Hang on me. I'll take you through the anxieties of life. I'll take you through the fire. And through it all, you'll be refined. If you use a substance, if you need to buy something to get there, you're not going to be refined. You're just going to get weighed down. Those are ineffective coping tools. Stick with me. And I'll just end with this, 1 Peter 5, 7 through 10. The God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself, not a substance, not something of this world, he himself will supernaturally restore you, make you strong, firm, steadfast, and ain't nothing, not even the devil, going to get you then. Let's pray. God, there's so many times in our lives where we're not alert, 
where we've been weighed down by the anxieties of life, where we've been deceived by possessions and money. So many times, God, where we just are not, we're just not in the game. God, we've missed, we've underestimated the power of our enemy. But God, we're grateful that you know us through and through and you only allow him to go so far. God, I pray that that love, that commitment to our spiritual life and our well-being on your part will be enough to cause us to work harder, to get in the game, to totally, completely, and only rely on you. In your name I pray, amen.